I want you for this, but I don't need you for that. I need you to take me to soccer practice. I don't need you to ask me about my deepest, darkest fears. But the step parents going, but that's what I want to be. Well, here's the reality. Until those two definitions of what this relationship is going to look like come together, you're really not working on the same thing. One of you's working here, one of you's working here, and you miss each other. The hard part is not being so frustrated with that as a step parent. By the way, when two people have one has a high motivation to get to know the other person, build a relationship, and the other person has a lower motivation, who wins? Lower motivation. Lower. The person who's least invested always dictates how much of a relationship we have. That's why it's so frustrating for step parents because you have high motivation. You want this family to come together. You want every relationship to matter. And then there's Johnny. <laughs> He's 16 and doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't like you. It's just that he doesn't need you in that place in his heart. Maybe he's already got a biological parent and that's he's got a dad, he's got a mom. Maybe one of them's deceased. That person still lives on inside that special place in his heart. So it's up to Johnny to decide and figure out where to put you. In the meantime, you try to love him with something that matches his openness to you. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm Jamie Scrimger, wife, mom, stepmom, life coach, conversation opener, and BS caller. Seven years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor with a glass of wine, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Don't get me wrong, I was madly in love, the kids were great, but as a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I was in over my head. When I went to the internet for support, I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support that I was looking for. Raw and real conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But each week I'll bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to help you thrive amongst the tough stuff in life. My goal is to inspire you to live your version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I don't know why I'm kind of singing that, but I'm just, I'm in a good mood today. I'm pumped. So yeah, how are you doing? How are you guys doing right now? I've been asking myself that a lot lately. I've been asking you to ask yourself that a lot because I think that we need to do that more. I think we need to check in with ourselves more. So, you know, hopefully every time you listen to these episodes or you listen to the podcast, it is a reminder for you to check in with yourself and just see what it is that you really need. I personally, um, I'm just guessing that you were going to ask me back. I'm doing good. (laughs) I'm doing great because the day this podcast releases is the first week of summer vacation. No more tutor, no more online learning. The school year is over. We're in vacation mode and we're going to have a great summer and cross our fingers that this COVID craziness is over when the kids go back to school in September and that we can get back to real life and routine. I am feeling hopeful. I am just freaking done with COVID. So yeah, fingers crossed there. But before we get to the episode today, I do want to tell you something. And it's going to explain a little bit about this episode and why I decided to share this with you. But I'm going to tell you something that people don't realize. When you are running your own business, especially in the early stages, or when you're a content creator, or a podcaster, whatever it is that I, I do, it can be really difficult to take time off. There is always something to do. Everything is on you. Your wheels are always spinning. Like you can, you could work all day, every day if you really wanted to. And I 
do that. I often work far too much. And this year I've tried to take a couple breaks and been unsuccessful. I have ended up working on something or getting pulled back in or saying yes to something that I really don't want to do or I feel like I should do because it's a good opportunity or I feel bad. And, you know, this summer I decided to create some major boundaries for myself and set some pretty strong intentions. I am scaling back in a lot of things. And I'm also doing a regroup and reevaluating life, which I'm going to do an episode on uh, very soon, but it really is about setting boundaries, regrouping what gets my yes, or regrouping around what gets my yes, and taking time off, actually. So this summer, I have reorganized this platform and simplified what I am doing. So here's the news. I'm not doing one-on-one coaching right now. I am solely focusing on this podcast and supporting members in my membership, the exclusive Stepmom community. That's it. That's all I'm focusing on right now. Anything else is a no or not right now. And I'm sticking to that. And if I don't, I really hope someone tells me, gets me back in line because it's really important to, you know, get clear on what you really, really want for yourself and for your life. Now, obviously the day this podcast released, I am on vacation. It's a much needed break. And originally I was going to take the summer off of podcasting, to be honest. And I was going to regroup in the fall. In fact, that was the plan until last week. And then I decided, no, uh, I'm going to get creative. I'm going to whip off some episodes that I've been meaning to do and share some content that I really think that the world needs to hear. So this week I'm doing something that I've never done before, which is sharing a private interview from the exclusive stepmom community, which again, if you're not familiar, is my membership space for stepmoms. So in this membership, I share content that I typically don't share anywhere else. Actually, until today, I don't share it anywhere else. And in this space, I also provide support and answer questions in a private forum. I do live Q&As. You know, we have wine with stepmoms from all over the world. We do free coaching calls that are shared as podcast episodes so that everyone can benefit from what I share on these coaching calls. And, you know, just realize that you're not alone and a bunch more. You can check out all things at the membership on my website. But it's basically the type of support and the private space and the type of conversations that I wish I had when I first became a stepmom. Now, in the membership a while back, I had Ron Deal on to talk about his book, Building Love Together and Blended Families, The Five Love Languages and Becoming Step Family Smart, that he co-authored with Gary Chapman. And if you're not familiar, Gary Chapman is the author of the Love Languages books. If you haven't read them, put them on your list. Honestly, you can thank me for it. This interview, though, it really blew my mind because we talked about the five love languages and how understanding these love languages, sorry, it's kind of a tongue twister, understanding these love languages can help improve your step family life, even in high conflict situations, even with people who maybe don't even want to have a relationship with you. The five love languages will help. Now, I was, again, on the fence about sharing this because it was intended to be in this private space, but I decided to share this for two reasons. One, and most importantly, I think that it's going to help a lot of you. I really, really do think this is an important conversation for everyone in a step family or anyone in any type of relationship to have. And number two, I do want to give you a glimpse of what's happening in the membership space, because if you're looking for support this summer, that's where you can find me. My only ask in sharing this private conversation with you is that you share this with someone who you think would benefit from the conversation and that you let me know what your biggest take home is over on the Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast Instagram page. I seriously had so many aha moments when we were having this conversation 
that I cannot wait to hear what resonates with you guys. I, I There's just so many pieces that are going to be like, oh my gosh, yes. And you're going to be able to implement them into your own step family life almost immediately. Now, as always, if you haven't already, I'm extremely grateful for those who take time to leave a kind rating and review. When you share the episode out on Instagram, this truly helps us grow. This helps us grow the community, continue to have important conversations that need to be had and open up the conversation about step family life and, you know, debunk the stigma that comes with being a stepmom because that's just bull. Anyway, the quality of the interview isn't what it usually is because it was a live recording, but the content is so good that it doesn't really matter. So I will stop rambling. Let's dive in. Ron, welcome to the exclusive stepmom community. Well, thank you, Jamie. It's good to be with you. Yeah, I am so excited to chat with you. I'm a big fan of the love languages, so this definitely resonates with me. I'm excited to chat about how it applies to blended family life because everything's always a little bit more complicated with blended families, right? It's, it's a lot more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. All right. So for those who are just learning about you now, can you introduce yourself to the community? You bet. You bet. So Ron Deal, I oversee, well, two ministries really. Uh, one I started myself called Smart Step Families and smartstepfamilies.com is the place you want to go if you want to visit there. Uh, but a few years ago, a very large international marriage and family educational group uh, got in touch with me and said, we've never done blended family ministry before or education. We don't know anything about it. So would you join with us? And that was a yes for me. So I, for eight years now, I've been the director of what's called Family Life Blended, which mm -hmm. is a division of family life, an international uh, marriage and family nonprofit. So uh, I have a lot of fun. We create our own podcast, just like you, yours here. Family Life Blended with Ron Deal is the name of ours, but we have books, resources, curriculum uh, for small groups, for churches, resources for leaders and educators, and we do equipping for um, people who are work with families, and I do therapy training for therapists. So we try to do everything we can to encourage, equip, and bless blended family couples and their families, as well as the people who try to help and encourage them. Mm -hmm. Well, and yeah, I feel like even as... You know, there's a lot more resources out there even now. Like I mm -hmm. have become, a, I'm, I'm a stepmom for seven years now. It's our anniversary this week, but I, um, congratulations. thank you. It feels like a big accomplishment. <laughs> it, is. it is. And anniversaries matter. So you should celebrate it. Yeah, yeah they definitely matter. Um, but even when I started to become a stepmom, like there really isn't a lot of resources. So mm -hmm. it's good that people are seeing that it's different than a first family. There's so many differences. And I think a lot of times you have the experts who are, trying to counsel and trying to support step families, but they're doing it with a first family mentality. And it's That's just right. very, very different. That's exactly right. And Jamie, I'm glad you're doing this podcast because we need more people like you out there uh, mm -hmm. stirring the waters and getting people together in community. This is a great opportunity for the people who follow you. Um, I know our group in the last 18 months has produced more book, video, um, and podcast resources and print resources than the first 20 years that I worked in this field. Mm -hmm. So more and more and more is coming out. If I hear people say, I used to hear people say, Ron, why isn't there anything available? Now, if they say that, I say, you haven't looked. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not true anymore. There really is a lot of good stuff available. Yeah. And I think the important part is, is sometimes a lot of the, the resources I found were negative, right? It's yeah. just very, very negative. Yeah. And yeah. I talk but, about like, you can't just complain. You have to do the work. You have to look for your resource. I mean, you want to 
look for people who have done their homework, not just people who are commiserating online and want other people to join them in that. That doesn't take you anywhere. I mean, that just takes you down the bottom of the hole and leaves you there. Mm -hmm. you You need somebody who's really thought through this well. They have a research understanding that informs some of the things that they talk about. And that that makes a world of difference. Right, right. So what made you start working with blended families? Like what inspired you to start this work? Because I don't think we, none of us are, first of all, I would say we don't dream of being a stepmom or in a blended family when we grew up. Like this is not anyone's five-year plan. And then to make it your work, how how did that progress? Well, I didn't dream of becoming a step family expert either. So uh, it's kind of a similar journey. Actually, I got into this. My first job, I was a youth minister and I was working with teenagers. And I figured out in about five minutes that I didn't know enough about their families, about family dynamics to really understand those kids well. So I went back to school, got a degree in marriage and family therapy that taught me how to think about families in different contexts in families, single parent families and blended families. I found myself having a lot of success with step families that I was counseling in the beginning. But after graduate school, I went right back into local community work, doing marriage and family enrichment and education, as well as therapy. And real fast, I was trying to translate, how do I take what I've learned as a clinician and translate that into actually helping prevent problems, help people blend well, merge well, uh, and avoid some of the problems and complications that that people find themselves running into. And so that started me down a path of trying to figure that out. All of that to say, Jamie, um, this is not my life. My wife and I have been married for 34 years. Uh, I didn't come from a blended family and she didn't either. Now I'm a step uncle in law, but that's as close as it gets. I'm, my wife says I'm a little bit like a male obstetrician who uh, <laughs> has never actually gotten pregnant before and never actually delivered a baby, except they do know something about the process of that. And they help other people understand that process. For I love them. that. So at this point, uh, written eight books. We're working on number nine and lead one of the largest international groups on blended families, uh, you know, around the world. And it's really just because I care about people and families. And I think marriage matters. It matters to our children. It matters in our culture. So here I am. Mm-hmm. I love it. And, you know, it's about doing the research and understanding the differences too. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, that's, what's really important is to understand that it's not the same. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly right. In fact, yeah. I'm telling people right now, um, sorry I, to cut in. I just, I can't help but share what we've all been living through in the pandemic is teaching everybody a little bit about step family living, whether they know it or not. Um, two big principles, there's parallels in what we've been living through, Jamie. One of them is, this whole thing about retreating back to what's safe, go home, stay with your children, uh, lock down, right? You know, what do you do when anxiety comes, when the climate around you gets unclear? We retreat back to the people and places that are the most safe for us. Same thing happens emotionally in relationships, whether it be a marriage or a work relationship. This is definitely true in blended families. On day one, when you really start the process of trying to integrate family members, fall in love with one another, become family with one another, There's this anxiety about how do we do that? And well, it turns out that your idea of family is a little different from my idea of family. And you know what? When I get a little anxious, I retreat back to the biological relationships where are the people and the places where I'm most safe. My traditions, my customs, my mom is my mom and I know who she is. My stepdad is a nice guy, but I'm not sure who he is. 
So people pull away from each other. And the irony is here they are trying to merge, or at least the adults want that to happen. But people naturally pull back to what's safe. What we've been living as a world right now is showing us what it's like to try to deal with that tension of moving toward or pulling away. The other quick analogy or parallel I would draw is defining what six feet away is. Um, Think about that. Like right now we're opening up and you go to a walk down a store, go to a restaurant and somebody else's definition of six feet is not your definition. They're closer than you're comfortable with, or maybe they're too far away and you'd like to be a little closer. Defining closeness is what blended families are doing from day one. A step parent says, I want to be close. And the kid's going, whoa, 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 that's too close. I like eight feet. You're, you're wanting to get in two feet. That's too close. I'm not ready for that. And the step parent's going, wait a minute, I'm trying. I'm nice. Give me a chance. And the kid's going, yeah, but that's just not my definition of six feet away. It, this is the stuff you have to navigate to come to a, a, a mutual definition of what six feet means and how we're going to do this. Are we wearing masks? Are we not wearing masks? Are we fully available to one another or are we just kind of off in the distance? That is how you form a family. Navigating through those decision points is what ultimately gives birth to the idea of, okay, I now know you. I now know what's expected of us. I know what I, what's expected of me and we're family. That's yeah. the journey. And our whole world has been experiencing that and learning a little bit about step family living. That is such a good analogy. So here's a question before we dive in. And this is probably a loaded one. How does it, how do families even go about that when there's the different definitions and like people are kind of in different places and have different expectations on what the step family life is going to look like? Because you're so right that that's, that's just the perfect analogy, the, the space, the space. Yeah. Well, so let me just say something. When I say it, it's so obvious. Everybody goes, uh, duh, like I already knew that, but I just never put words on it. Biological family relationships, you really don't have to talk about it to define who you are. This is my brother. This is my dad. End of story. Like, I know who I am. I know who you are. Step family relationships rely heavily on communication. Like we have to talk it out. We have to figure this out. I, we have to define. One, one of the exercises I'd love to have pre-step family couples do is have a family conversation around what they're going to call each other after the wedding. When they introduce, when I introduce you to my teacher at school, what words should I use? Are you my stepmom? Are you my mom? Are you my bonus mom? Are you my smom? Are you mom Julie? Are you like, and the answer is, I don't know. The two of you have to dialogue and talk about it and decide what works for the two of you. Communication is critical to deciding how we're going to be family with one another. The same thing that's going on in our world right now, what's six feet away for you? I just walked into an office building that has been abandoned for many months now. And we finally, I had to go in there to do a video shoot. Well, I have to interact with some people. We wear a mask when we walk, like there's rules about how we're going to do this. And somebody sat down next to me and I said, I'm good with this. Are you good with this? We have to talk through what six feet away means. And we're we're going to shake hands. We're not going to shake hands until you talk through it and mutually agree. You don't know. You have two different definitions of what family means. And until you bridge that gap, you really haven't become family. So here's the deal. This is not a one-time conversation. This is a bit of a journey. Kids have so much going on inside them about what bio mom wants and bio dad and step mom, step. 
this is often takes five to seven years for the average step family to kind of really find their true sense of how this is going to work. We've worked through it. We figured out what hasn't worked. We've had a few failures. That's led to now some success. It's a journey that you cannot give up on. The more you talk, the more definition you bring to the ambiguity of your relationships, the more familiness you get. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, how would you counsel families who are in relationships where people are just like not even into that conversation? Mm. Or that's where the teenagers or, you know, a high conflict ex or just like someone who's like, I'm not into this. Okay. Well, you just, this is why we wrote the book, Building Love Together and Blended Families, Gary Chapman and I, because his concept of five love languages is such a great concept. But I went to him and I said, but here's the thing, the the complexity of step family relationships, there's so many layers to each relationship let me just quick example. Um, Gary's concept is um, everybody has a has a core language in which they speak love or care or affection for people that they care about. Just like English is my core language. Yours is English as well, but you have a Canadian accent, dialect that goes along with it. I, I do? <laughs> I, yeah, just a little bit. Um, and so it, it's that's part of the reality of how we talk. Now we go to Africa, we go somewhere else. There's a totally different language, totally different dialects. And we've got to learn other people's language in order to be able to communicate. My wife's love language is quality time. Now I can love her with affection, physical touch. I can do nice things for her. I can wash the dishes. I, I, but if I really want it to count, <laughs> if I really, really, really want her to know that I care about her, I've arranged some quality time. Mm-hmm. That's what, touches her most deeply, right? That's the basic concept. This helps me learn how to be a good intentional lover of my wife, of my kids, of the people around me that I care about. That's the basic idea. But Gary, here's the problem. What if I'm trying to love a stepchild and they don't really care whether I love them or not? (laughs) They're not interested in having a deep, intimate conversation with me. What if I know a child's love language And I try to, what if it's physical touch and you try to give them a hug and they don't want a hug from you? Well, now we got a problem. Now the love language is backfiring on us. So that's why we wrote this book to try to flesh out. All right, that makes sense. And here's why a kid may not be interested. Number one, their definition of who you are is not your definition of who you want to be in their life. They see you as, for example, a step parent and they say, I like you, but I don't love you. I want you for this, but I don't need you for that. Uh, I need you to take me to soccer, soccer practice. I don't need you to ask me about my deepest, darkest fears. Yeah. But the step parents going, but that's what I want to be. Well, here's the reality. Until those two definitions of what this relationship is going to look like come together, you're really not working on the same thing. One of you's working here, one of you's working here, and you miss each other. The hard part is not being so frustrated with that as a step parent. By the way, when two people have one has a high motivation to get to know the other person, build a relationship, and the other person has a lower motivation, who wins? Lower motivation. Lower. The person who's least invested always dictates how much of a relationship we have. That's why it's so frustrating for step parents because you have high motivation. You want this family to come together. You want every relationship to matter. And then there's Johnny. <laughs> He's 16 and doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't like you. It's just that he doesn't need you in that place in his heart. Maybe he's already got a biological parent and that's, he's got a dad, he's got a mom. Maybe one of them's deceased. 
that person still lives on inside that special place in his heart. So it's up to Johnny to decide and figure out where to put you. In the meantime, you try to love him with something that matches his openness to you. So if his love language is physical touch, bear hugs, that gets a pushback. Well, guess what? You just learned something. So pull back to a type of physical touch that he can accept. What does that look like? I don't know. You're going to have to figure that out in your relationship with him. But it might look like fist bumps. <laughs> it might look like, yeah, we can kind of jockey, to, you know, when we're playing a game or something, I can push you on the shoulder and go, ha, I got you that time. And that's it. And with time and a continuing of getting to know each other and walking through life side by side, sometimes some stepchildren open themselves up further and then they're ready for a hug or something that, that it, as the relationship deepens, so does the expression of love deepen. Mm-hmm. That is so, that's something my mind is spinning, right? Yeah. yeah. So chew on it and reflect back. If you don't mind, tell me what you're chewing on. Yeah. I'm just thinking about just relationships. Like even, you know, I have I work with a lot of stepmoms who really want a great relationship with their husband's ex, but their husband's ex has no desire to have that relationship. And yeah, you want to be good co-parents, but they just don't want to work at it. Yeah. And it comes back to their definition of you and you have a different definition of what you are within that family. And it feels so powerless at that point. And, but here's your power. Two things. Number one, you can always lead with love. I'm telling you the most powerful force in the universe, whether we're talking about the God above or right here in, in any earthly relationship is love. If I love you well, if I respect the boundaries, I don't force my love on you in a way you can't receive, but I, but I pace it according to what you can receive. But I lead with, I don't sit around and wait for you to love me or I'm not going to give you anything. No, that's not leading with love. Leading with love is I do, I serve, I sacrifice. I, I continue forward in trying to be available to you, this relationship, to whatever degree you'll allow me. And I'd be faithful to that. That is powerful. Over time, that breaks through doors. It, you know, people begin to, I shouldn't say breakthrough. It's more like they begin to open the door from the other side. And that's where the relationship progresses. So always lead with love. That's one. Even towards an ex-wife, the ex-wife from hell. Yeah, that's the point. Like treat her decent, respect. Now you can set boundaries. But mm-hmm. be be a nice person. Be be decent and kind. That goes a long way over time. So that's one. Lead with love. love number two is look for love from them. When, and not, not necessarily love, but when they're a little decent back, <laughs> man, take that to the bank. You know, um, recognize something is moving here in the right direction. And it may not be what you want. It's certainly not everything you hope for. But it's something and you do the best you can with that. That doesn't feel like much, but over time, Jamie, that makes a world of difference. One of the things we recommend, for example, is called the no threat message. Just imagine if um, you know you have this really hard co-parent relationship with somebody in the other household. You're the stepmom and you say to the biological mom or you text, type, email, whatever it is you feel like you're comfortable doing, something to the effect of, hey, look, I just want you to know that I know you're the mom and I'm not, and I'm never going to try to step into that place in your kid's heart. I will honor you behind your back. I will make sure your kids love and respect you and speak well of you. And we will speak well of you in my household. If I have anything to do with it, 
Um, I will never cross you. You're the mom. That's it. End of story. Have a nice day. What we're doing here is loving that person. Well, you're showing her you don't have to live in fear of me. I'm not a threat to you. You may think that I am, but I'm going to work hard not to be. And I'm going to just show you that over time. I have seen that change the heart of another person in the other home more often than I can begin to tell you. It doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes love you know, doors are hard to get open. <laughs> Hearts are hard to soften. You know, that's a difficult process, but there is power in that. You're not powerless. There's power in leading with love. Yeah. And I think where a lot of stepmoms struggle is, you know, you send the message or you're being empathetic and you're reaching out and you're extending the olive branch. And when you don't get that response right away, then you're like, well, screw it. Like screw her. And then that's when the conflict arises, right? It's like, well, you, you started this. And I think that's, what's really important to realize is that that's not going to help anything. I always say, I said, you want to keep those doors open, like let her know that you're here when you're ready Mm -hmm. or when she is ready. And then just let it be right. But when you retaliate with the same type of reaction back, you get further yeah. and further away from that relationship that you're actually striving for. Yeah, you're exactly right. Again, your power is being a consistent person. You don't have to be milk toast. You don't have to let them walk all over you. You can have boundaries, but you're going to be decent. You're going to be kind. You're going to be respectful. You're going to try to speak well of them. All the stuff that's within your power to do um, that makes an impression. The bottom line of this, Jamie, is threat. If the other, if the bio mom feels threatened by your presence in her children's life, then it doesn't matter how nice you are, she's going to see you as somebody to work against. But if threat comes down, if you just over time prove to her that you're a decent person, threat goes down and all of a sudden her need to speak negatively about you behind your back goes down. All of a sudden her need to whatever it is that she's been doing just changes. It, it shifts. Now, I can't guarantee that you can overcome and overwhelm any everybody in the world. That's not true. There are some people who are just going to have threat no matter what. But you can do what you can do. And don't underestimate the power of that over a continual, uh, over a long period of time. You know, people who go, man, I've been working at this for a couple of weeks now. I think you should to be better. <laughs> no, no, I don't think you understand, <laughs> you know. It's a long journey. Just walk the road as best you can. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Now to back up for just a quick second, for those who maybe aren't familiar with the five love languages, can you just give us a little bit of a rundown on what they are? Yep. Okay. So words of affirmation. So compliments and saying nice things and letting the other person, you know, something you're saying, words of affirmation. Number two is gifts or giving gifts or receiving gifts. It can just depends on which direction it's going. Physical touch. Number four is quality time. And then acts of service is the fifth one. Again, these are kind of the core main ways people look for signs. You love me. You just cleaned up the kitchen and I didn't have to ask. You, you just went out of your way to make arrangements. You took care of a couple of tasks for me. I feel cared for. Mm-hmm. It's clear to me you care for me. That's essentially what is happening. Those behaviors are communicating value, worth, care, love. Everybody needs all five. From the time a child is born, they need all five, especially the first four or five years, six years, we want them getting all five. Mm -hmm. But then around the age six, seven or eight, kids begin to develop a preference. We all have kind of one core 
love language that we go back to over and over that just seems to speak to us louder than the others do. We still enjoy all five, but knowing that one primary and then maybe the secondary love language is really helpful. Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of books on figuring out what your love language is. And I'm going to link up Gary's books and your book yes. as well um, underneath. But say you're in conflict. Mm -hmm. so say someone feels like they have a lot of conflict in their, in their family. They're listening to this and they're like, okay, I'm going to dive into this a little bit more. Where do they start? Well, a couple of things. First of all, the love languages um, is a indirect strategy to help you with conflict. It's not the way to resolve the conflict necessarily. Although, being aware of it keeps you from making a mistake and making the conflict worse. For example, one of the things Gary teaches is that you can step on somebody's love language. Like if, if, if words of affirmation really makes Jamie's heart just open up and just blossom, but then I cut you with my words. Now it closes your heart. So I need to know that. I need to realize and recognize the discipline for me in loving you well is to not cut you with my words, even when I'm angry, even when I'm upset because that just made it all the more difficult for you to begin to trust me again, right? So they so, work in the opposite. That's right. So we don't want to do that. At the same time, just paying you a compliment is not going to resolve the conflict that we have. We have to actually talk through the conflict. We have to actually resolve that. And that's a whole other set of skills and, and things that come into play. But along the process, I'm mindful of that love language when even within the process of resolving something, which sometimes is a series of conversations. I'm, I'm aware that what my words, what my words do makes a difference for you and how I use them. So again, that's just kind of that awareness of once the relationship is, is kind of resolved that, that problem, if you will, then words of affirmation, it becomes the way of feeding the heart of the other person, filling it up again. You know, Gary talks about the love bucket, <laughs> Just filling that love bucket helps somebody to, again, feel like, all right, we're here, you're with me, we're together. I think we sometimes forget those little ways that we maybe do the digs or, you know, the, uh, the comments or things mm -hmm. like that, like mm -hmm. how much they can affect your relationship with someone who you may have some conflict with or it's, it's more difficult. Yeah. It, it just makes the recovery so much more difficult. It does. I mean, there's certain things about words, what, no matter how we communicate it with your body language, turning, walking away, closing your arms, you know, just kind of closing yourself off is the same thing as saying, shut up. You know, I don't, I don't care about you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I mean, so we're always communicating something and what are we communicating? You know, mm -hmm. either it's helpful or it's not helpful. It, it's moving toward them or it's not. There's a simple little concept, you know, the Hebrew word for, for life <laughs> actually means to move toward when you get going, when you, when you're alive, you move, you do something, you go somewhere, you move towards somebody. The Hebrew word for death means to take away, to disconnect from. So every time you speak words that are life giving, you're moving toward your spouse, toward your child, toward whoever. But when you cut them, when you, you know, words, when, when you prove yourself unfaithful, you're moving away. You're, you're imposing a little death on that relationship that, that, you know, just keeping that in mind helps me personally, Ron, to discipline myself when I'm hurt, when I'm angry, when I'm upset, I'm still responsible for what I do in that moment. I'm either going to bring life to this moment or I'm going to bring a little death to this moment. And I really want to discipline myself well to try to bring as much life as I can. Yes. Wow. There's, there's a lot to chew on in this. This is so, this is so good. 
Wow. Okay. Yes. Um, next question for you. So you have another book, the smart step family mm-hmm. marriage. So keys to success in blended family. Get that book, right? Well, it's over. It's over. I can't get the rest. Of yep. <laughs> all your stuff going on up there. So yeah. can you give us a little bit of a gist of what that book is all about? Mm. Yes. So that book is um, a deep dive into the couple's relationship within the blended family. I actually teamed up with a guy who's a very well internationally respected marriage researcher named David Olson. And we did a large survey of couples creating step families and what predicted health in their relationship and what predicted difficulty in their relationship. And, you know, there's some things that are that come out that are really common about marriage. You got to communicate well, resolving conflict, manage money, stuff like that. But some of the things that are unique about step family couple marriages has to do with how the dynamics of the step family around you pull your relationship apart. So stress with a former spouse can create negativity in the couple's relationship. Stress with a stepchild and parenting and all all the issues around parenting and step parenting coming together as a parenting team has everything to do with the success of your marriage. And ultimately what those things do is they either add uh, confidence that I that you and I are together and we can trust each other with this, or it adds fear to your coupleness. And what I mean by fear is I'm afraid I can't trust you with my kids. I'm fearful that, oh my goodness, you seem to accommodate your ex every time they call, but I don't feel like you accommodate me very much. Do you care more about them than you do me? See the fear in that? Fear that I'm not so sure I can trust you with money. So I'm not putting my money in your account. We're not doing one bank account. We're not, I'm, we're not changing the names on the beneficiaries. We're not, uh, you know, that's how fear ripples out in a relationship. And a lot of the things that create fear for step family couples have to do with step family stuff, not couple stuff. It's not so much your marriage as it is all the stuff going on around you. Mm-hmm. So in that book, we talk through the things that we found best predicted health for couples and step families specifically, and what predicted difficulty for them. Mm-hmm. And it, that's all the things, <laughs> all those outside factors. It's all of that stuff. That's right. And more, right? Yeah. Loss. We haven't talked about loss, how the loss of the past. Here's one of the most insidious things, Jamie. Let's say you've been divorced and you gave your heart away to somebody and they stomped on it and it's a, it, it hurt. How do you walk back in and trust another person as deeply and as innocently as you did before? It's pretty normal. You're going to have a little residue of doubt and uh, self-protection left on your heart, of course. But if you don't manage that well, that self-protection means I'm now not giving you all of me. I give you some of me, but not, but not everything. So you're holding back all the time. Well, guess what? You can't really have an intimate deeply trusting relationship. And so now you come to me and and you're telling me I'm not parenting my kid right. And so now I'm holding back a part of me. Now I'm holding back my kid from you because I don't trust you with my kid. So it, it spins off into all of the step family matters. And again, the fear becomes reality. You got to manage that part of yourself. And we spent a good bit of time talking about how to do that. I love what you just said. The fear becomes reality. I have a coaching group that I'm working with right now. And we talk a lot about the stories that we tell ourselves and Mm. and the fear that we have. And 
just when you're experiencing that anxiety to stop and say, Oh, is this real? Like, is this a real fear or is this something that I've just kind of spiraled into story that I'm telling myself? And so often it's a story, right? Something that is just kind of, we have created, Mm -hmm. but to go off on what you're just talking about, we've also been talking a lot about for stepmoms. So say they've never been married, grieving the fact that you're not going to get those firsts mm-hmm. or grieving the life that you thought you were going to have. And, yeah. you know, I even talk, I, my husband and I have been talking really openly lately about, you know, we're seven years in and I even said, I, I didn't think it was going to be like this seven years mm-hmm. from now. Like I didn't, I didn't feel, I don't feel the way that I thought I was going to feel because I had this, I had this expectation that my family, my, my staff family was going to function the same way as a first family, maybe mm-hmm. only every other week. Mm-hmm. but still, and it's about grieving that process too. Yeah. Yeah. We just recorded a podcast um, for my podcast well, on that very subject. And the woman that I interviewed said, you know, what I've come to is yes, I'm the second wife. No, I don't get to celebrate the first with my husband, but I am first in his heart today. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is if I can lean into that, Rather than saying, oh, this is a knock against me. I'm never quite there. I'm always trying to catch up. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm there. I've arrived. I just have to lean into that idea that today I'm first in his heart. That she said that, that actually you know, gives me, a, gives me a, a security that allows me to rest in that place. And then as I rest, I'm able to be myself, to be who I am and to bring the best of me back to yeah. him. No, for sure. And, you know, we were talking today about how, you know, sometimes we get worried because maybe our partner is grieving the loss of the family that he thought he was going to have. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you know, there are elements of his first family that he, I'm sure at times he's like, man, I would, that would have been a lot easier if that worked yes. out. <laughs> like, yes. Things are a little complicated, but we, you know, as a stepmom, I look fondly on the back on the days where I lived by myself. And I had that alone time and that time of my life. And, but that doesn't mean that's where I want to be right now. I can still have those fond memories and, and think about that time, just as if, you know, he can have those thoughts about certain things, which he probably does in some way, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that's where he wants to be right now. And I think that's part of the grieving process too. Like that just because there are positives from the past, because there's going to be in every situation, no matter how high conflict it is, that doesn't mean that's where you want to be right now. Right, right. No, that's that's very good advice. Um, grief is a part of the journey of blended families. When you get married, when you form a blended family, it's the middle of the story. It's not the beginning of the story. And so you have to acknowledge that somebody is always carrying the beginning of the story with them. If you think of it as an ocean, there's an undercurrent just under the top of the surface of the water, and it is moving pretty fast, and it's called sadness and loss and grief. And it's always carrying people in a certain direction. Now, sometimes it moves people toward others, toward new step family members, as in I'm missing what I used to have and I want to get it back. Let's let's do this together. And for other people, it's carrying them sort of in the opposite direction, away from new step family members. I want to love you, just not quite sure. I want to invest again. Uh, you know, that's going to hurt. You know, what if what if this comes apart? And so it has different impact on different people. But if you're aware of it and you're acknowledging it, then you're able to swim kind of counterpart, you know, to the to the current. But I think a lot of people are just victims of it. Like they just have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. They're not really listening to themselves or to other people. And so the current just pushes 
and it moves them away from each other. So you, you do have to be mindful of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And empathy is, you know, I was crit- criticized, I think on social media the other day saying you're all about empathy, like all about putting yourself in everyone mm-hmm. else's shoes and, you know, being empathetic to the acts and empathetic to your stepkids and all of that. And what about me? Like, what mm-hmm. about what we're going through? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a bit of a misconception there. You can still be very, very empathetic to all everyone else's definitions of what they want family to look like, their experience, while still experiencing your own, right? Yeah. It, it's, not, it's not one or the other. And it's so important to be able to process all the things and to move everyone close together because I don't think you can move forward in high-conflict relationships without that empathy. I think you're right. Empathy moves you toward the heart of the other person. Now, Empathy can be paralyzing if you're a parent and you empathize with your child and you see sadness in their heart over something, a decision you made in the past that maybe resulted in a, the divorce or whatever, and you're feeling guilt over that. And all of a sudden, empathy becomes guilt. And now you're paralyzed to even parent your child because you feel bad for what has happened in their life. That is not helpful. Mm-hmm. That's not the point of empathy. The point of empathizing with somebody is hearing and understanding and saying, okay, what is it that you really need in this moment? I mean, the reason you're saying you're not my mom and I don't have to do what you say is because you're telling me about the sadness you feel in your heart. You want your mom. Mm-hmm. It's really even about me as much as it is about a kid who's lost connection with mom. I'm here with you right now, not my mom because of stuff that's out of my control. Well, of course you're upset with mm-hmm. me asking you to clean your room. <laughs> of course you are. That makes sense to me. Does it mean I don't make you clean your room? No. <laughs> but I can I can be kind as I asked you to follow through and clean your room. I can say, you know what? I get it. If I were you, I think I'd be mad at me right now in this moment too. Because mm-hmm. after all, what you want is your mom. Yeah. She's not here. And I'm sorry for that. We all have to clean our room. <laughs> I clean my room. You can clean your room. And if you don't clean your room, we'll pay your brother with your allowance to do it for you. Yeah. We can empathize with you all you want, but this is our house and there are rules. And this is what real life looks like. (laughs) Jamie, it's the combination of empathy, compassion, and setting boundaries that is such a marvelous tool for parents. You can empathize and be compassionate for the pain, the sadness, whatever the angst the child is feeling, and say... At the same time, you got to clean your room and do it with a smile on your face. It just makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, it's that combination over time that actually helps kids move through their sadness. A parent who says, this is the irony, it's such, such a paradox in this. A parent who says, oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. You've had it so rough. It's okay. You don't have to clean your room. We'll figure something out. You've just invited them to linger in their sadness. They're not going to move through it. You don't get over it. You're going to move through. They're, they're not going to move through it because they don't have to. Nobody's asking them to grow up. Mm-hmm. So it's the combination of empathy and compassion plus structure, boundaries, expectations, and follow through in parenting that really is helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's the same when you're dealing with maybe a high conflict ex who is doing things that mm. really hurt or impact you and your family. You know, I will say, be empathetic. Like, well, how are they seeing the situation? How do they see you? What do you represent? Like, what's going through their their mind? You do all of that, and it helps you understand where they're coming from. Does that mean they can keep doing the things that they're doing? No. Like, you may right. need to call a lawyer. You may right. need to put some boundaries in place. Like, that's, that's not right. saying that it's all hearts and sparkles all the time, but just right. a little empathy and figuring out where people are coming from and what's motivating their behavior can go so far. Yeah. 
Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love, I love what you're saying, but well, you still have to clean your room. <laughs> <laughs> love you. Love you. Clean your dishes. That's, That's amazing. Right. Well, thank you so much. This has been so helpful and so great. So to wrap it up, if you, if there's a stepmom watching this and they're like, okay, I love this guy. Where do I get more? Mm. What would be your, if just, if you needed somewhere to start, yeah. Do you have a favorite book that's like a go-to first and then you dive into the rest? Yeah. Well, you know, it kind of depends on where people are. I, I mean, the book we just put out, Building Love Together in Blended Families, which is that one right up there. The love <laughs> language? Book, it's, yes, the love language is one, Gary Chapman. It's very accessible. It really gets you inside some of the dynamics of a blended family and tells you some practical things using the love languages of what to do about it. The, the most comprehensive book I have is called The Smart Step Family. That's the one right up there. And we have The Smart Step Dad and The Smart Step Mom. And those are all kind of spinoffs to, to address different aspects of step family living. But The Smart Step Family is very comprehensive. Very, It's a deep read, a lot of dynamics, marriage, parenting, ex-spouses, uh, death of a spouse, religious and spiritual aspects of step family life, financial stuff. We have a whole book on step family finances, by the way. I, I, I just invite people, whatever is pressing for you today, follow that and find a resource that will be helpful for you. It might be the stepmom book because you're just trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be one of the other one of the other two. So start with one thing and then just figure out where you need to go from there. People can go to smartstepfamilies.com and they will find access to everything we have from the other ministry that I work with, social media opportunities, videos, uh, online tools and resources. That's a good place. Smartstepfamilies.com. That's amazing. Do you know what I love is that you're like, yeah, no, we cannot fit this all in one book. (laughs) There are all the books for all the things. This is really complicated. Yes, that's exactly right. (laughs) Oh, so good. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. And um, yeah, I I know that my community is going to love everything that you Mm -hmm. just had. It's very, very helpful. We got a lot to chew on. Good. Thanks, Jamie, for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for this one, guys. I am so happy that you took time to join and have these important conversations. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so that you get updated when new episodes are released. And if you are craving more and you're looking for personalized support and connection, be sure to check out the exclusive Stepmom community. Not only can you get individualized support from me in the Ask Jamie section of the forum, but you can connect with stepmoms from 30 plus countries around the world and have access to content that I don't share anywhere else. www.jamiescrimshaw.com forward slash membership. Thanks so much for listening and I'll chat with you next week.